Let's uh, flip over to Acts chapter 11. I hope you guys are doing well today. God is good. Um, Let's get stuck in, huh? Acts chapter 11, verse 1. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were uh, sent to me. Excuse me. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. We will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as uh, on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorify God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. And that's going to be what we cover today, uh, this passage, this first portion here of Acts chapter 11. Uh, Next week we'll look at Barnabas. It's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. But for this week, it's kind of a continuation of last week's chapter 10. Uh, You might have remembered that because it was a momentous entire chapter in one sitting. So we have kind of the aftermath of what Peter did. Remember, we talked in depth last week via introduction of how uh, Jews and Gentiles did not hang out, even in the church, right? In the beginning of the church, there was tension, there was difficulty, and we talked about the fact that for at least the, the, in the intertestamental period, um, if you're unaware of that, that, if you go to the beginning of your Bible here, the, the New Covenant, and it always has that, that blank page, right? This one right here, and it always says the New Testament, or whatever it might be. This page represents about 400 years. So if you're ever kind of curious, from here to here is about 400 years. So for the last 800 years, the Jews have been conquered by many different people groups. With Romans, Greeks, All sorts of different people have conquered them, right? So the Romans, they've been occupied by the Romans since 63 B.C. at at this point. 
And, and again, we've talked all about how violent their overtakes were, how uh, they were oppressed, their land salted, their trees cut down, uh, pillaged, raped, everything under the sun. So it's not a big surprise, maybe, that when God comes along and says, actually, I'm not just going to save you, who've been my chosen people for thousands of years, I'm opening this up to everybody. It's not too surprising they might be a little hesitant. Like, do you know what they've done to me? Do you know what, what, they, what they've acted like, these nations that you want to save, these people groups? Do you know their worshiping habits? Do you know, you know all the kind of objections that would come up in their mind from the personal offenses? So when we're looking at Acts chapter 11, and in really, and we're looking at the early church, it's not surprising that the early church had a really hard time with the idea that Gentiles could be saved. So Peter himself, remember last week, he has this vision. He explains the vision again for us. He's on the roof. He's waiting for food to be made. And a sheet gets lowered down. He kind of falls into a trance. And a sheet gets lowered down by God with all these unclean animals. Remember, there were clean animals that you could eat and there were unclean animals that you could not eat. Some of you should greatly rejoice because things like shellfish, pork, those were all unclean. You weren't allowed to eat them. Now you can. Yay. So there's... (laughs) Yeah. I guess yay for bacon. I'm just not a big fish guy. But anyway, so, so this, this, <laughs> this uh, uh, event occurs. It's a vision. Three times it happens. Three times God says, kill and eat. And three times Peter says, no, Lord, which is always an interesting statement. He says, no, Lord, nothing unclean has ever entered my mouth. He says, no, I've never eaten something outside of your law. I've never done that. And I'm not going to start now. And so then the Lord keeps saying to him, don't call Uh, uncommon, or don't call common what I have called special, basically. Don't call unclean the same idea of something that's not very valuable, like a wood spoon versus a gold spoon. Don't call unclean what I have called clean. Don't call uh, common what I have said is special. Does that make sense? So that's what the vision is. is, And Peter, last week, he says he didn't understand it. It happened three times, and he did not understand it. And it wasn't until these, these uh, three men show up, or these men show up at Simon the Tanner's house, and the Spirit says, you should go with these people. So he goes with them, and he, they go down to where this, uh, this uh, uh, centurion lives, a Roman centurion. Uh, again, not only is he a Gentile, is he part of the Roman culture that has now come to the Judean area, but he is an occupying, a member, and a leader, he's in charge of a hundred soldiers, of an occupational force. So he's, Peter is being sent by the Holy Spirit, by God, to minister to somebody who's there to make sure he doesn't act up against their government. Does that make sense? So that could maybe even be difficult for us. Can you imagine if we had an occupational force here? The UN shows up, says, hey, funny story, You don't get to have guns, you don't get to have rights, you don't get to have the religion you want. We decide what you do and what you don't do. And then the Holy Spirit says, hey, this guy that is in charge of oppressing you, I want you to go minister to that guy so he can get saved. That's what's happening here. That's kind of the the breakdown of it. I think many of us, too, would have the same problem. Like, whoa, I feel like this is, you know, special for me. So that's what's going on. So when, when Peter goes there, he preaches the gospel. Uh, while he's preaching the gospel, I should, well, let me back up. The centurion is a man who follows Jehovah. Does that make sense? So he's a Jehovah follower. He's a Roman that is converted to Judaism and is following Jehovah. 
And so that person, he, he, he's a man of prayer, he's a righteous man, he treats people well. Remember, not all the Roman soldiers did that. They, they were not all decent. But this man, was a, he was a God-fearer, the Scripture tells us, and he was a good man, and he, he, he gave out of his wages uh, to the local synagogue. He was all in, as it were, for the Lord. And so the Lord sends Peter to now tell this man that the old covenant has passed, and now there's a new covenant, and it's in Jesus. He preaches the gospel. So Jesus goes down there, gives them the gospel. As he's preaching to them, they are believing. They're, starting to, they're, they're believing. They're not shouting it out, but they're believing, and now the Holy Spirit falls on them. Remember in uh, Acts chapter 2, you had the day of Pentecost, right? And at different times throughout the book, when a person believes in Christ, they receive the Holy Spirit. And there's, there's different ways that that happens. In this case, in Acts chapter 2, they begin to speak with the tongues of other nations, right? And they stand up and they begin to preach to everybody who's there. And there's a whole list of people that are there. And that was part of the wildness of it is everybody says, these guys are all Jews. They're all from this area. And yet we hear all of them in our own native languages. So this miraculous thing happens. So when these guys receive the Holy Spirit, they do the same thing. And just as they began to speak in tongues, it could have been like when Paul talks about the tongues of angels that nobody understood. It could have been all of a sudden they begin to praise in Hebrew. We don't know what it was. But what happens is the Spirit falls on these guys and his whole family, men and women, and they begin to speak in tongues. And there's this miraculous thing that happens. Um, I don't want to get too far off you know, into the weeds, but it doesn't mean that every single time the Spirit falls that there has to be a speaking in tongues. This was a specific time in a specific place. There had to be an immediate outward fruit from this. Why? Because he's going to get back, and what happens? There's part of the church that is like, you went and talked to Gentiles? They criticized him. So they have, there was, the Lord puts this physical manifestation on the spot in that location for a reason. And it was a declaration to the Jews, to Peter, to the six brothers that are with him, and then to the whole uh, shebang, as it were, in Jerusalem, that yes, Gentiles indeed can be saved. Does that make sense? So as we kind of are familiar with the story, and we're familiar with the background from last week, let's look at a few details here. Now the apostles and the brothers uh, who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So... It starts to spread. However it starts to spread, we don't know, but it starts to spread throughout the, the uh, Judea, which is Jerusalem, that whole Israeli area, right? It's, the, it's going out like Gentiles are getting saved. And then it says in verse 2, or it says, I should, let me back up, that they were receiving the word of God. Verse 2, when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. And I thought, you know, I, I feel sometimes like a one-trick pony, to be honest. I don't know why you guys keep coming back. But the, uh, it's got to be Jesus. This is the, I, to me personally, this is the word of this age. This is the word that the church needs. I need, we all need as the church. Can you imagine this? The Apostle Peter, just, just leave out the fact that he's an apostle. Some dude shows up and confirms, guys, it's crazy. People that have hated God their entire life, people that worship by having sex with little children, people that endorse all this crazy blood sacrifice are getting saved. 
And the reply is, you went to Gentiles? How dare you? They criticized them. They criticized the fact that Peter went and talked to people that they did not approve of, that they felt didn't deserve to be saved. And the reason I say I think this is a word for us today, because I think all of us mentally would absolutely, if, if we went around, we took a poll, I don't think there's very many of us that would, say, would stand up and say, you know what, there's just certain people that just, they don't deserve to be saved. But me, I'm in the good club. Right? There's not going to be, hopefully, any of us that would say that. None of us, because we know, we know mentally, we, we've been taught, we, you know, we, maybe we went to Sunday school or whatever, we know, well, God so loved the world. It's right at the tip of our, of our brains, of our tongues, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But yet sometimes, with our same tongue, we're more than willing to criticize and to tear down, to measure and to judge, and to say, no, not those people. Those people can't get saved. How could you possibly take it upon yourself to go to those people? Remember last week, Peter even notes it. He, the first thing he says when he walks in, maybe it's like that nervous greeting, like, <laughs> you know the Jews aren't supposed to hang out with you, right? I have no idea why he does it, but he just immediately walks in and says, well, you know it's not lawful for a Jew to spend time with, enter the home and eat with Gentiles, but here I am. And perhaps it was to make the emphasis the Spirit sent me to you. But here is this, like, I don't know, amazing thing that's happening. This great work and this great move of God. And yet there's like a whole section of the church that says, no, this shouldn't have happened. You should not have done this. Now, who were these guys? So it says this, the, the ESV says they were of the, the party of the circumcision. Doesn't sound like a great party. But that's... That, <laughs> That's the name of the party. So what they were, if you want to look there, you can look in chapter 15, because they end up having a whole summit. So in four chapters from now, there's going to be a whole summit in Jerusalem where everybody gets together and basically decides, can Gentiles actually be saved? And if they're getting saved, what do we do about it? How do we you know, talk to them? How, do we, how does the church handle this? How does this work? So it says there in verse 5, 15, 5, Acts 15, verse 5, but some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, same party, rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them in order to keep the law of Moses. So this is interesting. Flip over again, if you would, a little farther there to Galatians chapter 2. In uh, Galatians chapter 2, in verse 12, well, we'll start in 11. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11. But when Cephas, that's Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. That's, that's a powerful statement. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came... He drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So there's this group of people in the church, universally. Uh, remember, church buildings aren't really read about until about the second century. It's the end of the second century is when you start seeing kind of a conglomerate church buildings. So most of this is house to house. Sometimes, you know, maybe they're still meeting in Solomon's portico at different times. It's hard to say. But 
what we do know is there's a, a section of people, and, and, it, and it must be a fairly large section of people, they still identify themselves as Pharisees. Remember, Pharisees were a group that were formed, they were a political group, they were a religious group that were essentially formed to figure out how to help Jewish children not be inundated with Greek uh, secularism. Does that make sense? So when the Greeks took over before the Romans and conquered Israel, there were a band of people that in order to continue the Jewish traditions, uh, basically started making what we would call commentaries and things like this about the law, how to follow the law, and their whole goal was to say, how can we keep our kids Jewish? Okay? Um, they obviously kind of grew into something that was not good because they grew into something that was uh, very politically motivated. You know, it's interesting, one of the things the New Testament doesn't talk about very much, but you can read about from Josephus and others, is that like the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they constantly tried to have each other executed. They were constantly like going to the Roman government and be like, this Sadducee dude, like, he's uh, saying some stuff about Caesar. I, I, I don't know, but, you know, he, they would try to get each other killed all the time. They're constantly jockeying for the high priest position that was afforded by Rome. So that's kind of, they kind of morphed into this thing where it was no longer about protecting the people and the children. It was more about protecting their own personal power and their authority on the scripture, and then it became political from there. So there's this section of Pharisees that get saved, legitimately saved. They come into the church, but they're not willing to let go of the law. Remember, this is still one of the, the accusations that James the kind of the pastor we get the vibe of in Jerusalem, makes against Paul when he shows up in Jerusalem. Pretty soon we're going to read about it. And his, what he says when Paul gets there, he says, hey, bro, that's my, my translation, hey, bro, good to have you. We need you to grab Timmy and go to the temple, shave your heads, and make a vow sacrifice. And make sure, you know, Tim, Timmy already got circumcised, so we're glad he squared away there but we need to do the rest of this. James literally sends him to the temple to make a Jewish vow. Does that seem weird to anybody? The accusation is people are saying that you teach that you don't have to follow the Mosaic law and they're not happy. What was Paul teaching? That you don't have to follow the Mosaic law. That your righteousness is not through the law. He wasn't mocking the law. He wasn't saying the law is bad. He was saying that the law the ceremonial law and these things, they're not things that we follow anymore for our personal righteousness. You see that when we hear, uh, Paul says that when Peter came to Antioch, so that's what we're going to start covering next week, it's interesting because the epicenter for what's happening in Christianity kind of moves from Jerusalem after the persecution, and in, in chapter 11 it kind of moves to Antioch, a secular city. And now this Antioch starts growing and growing and missionaries are going out from Antioch and there's this amazing work of God. When Peter is already in Antioch and Paul shows up there in Galatians 2, he says, I had to stand up to Peter publicly and tell him to his face he was wrong. I mean, that must have been one of the most awkward moments in history. And he says, what happened was certain men came from James. Who were they? sect of the Pharisees. They were the party of the circumcision. Certain men came from James, and when they showed up in Antioch with Peter, Peter stopped eating with the Gentiles. 
This might be kind of hard to hear for some of us because for some reason, I don't know if it's all the felt in Sunday school, I don't know what happens, but we all just kind of think like, and, and maybe it's, you know, sometimes we, there's, there's really some great older authors, and I, I love a lot of the older authors and so forth, but there can be this vibe I don't know if you've ever seen this before, where someone talks about the early church and their eyes kind of roll back in their head, and it's like this blissful moment. And it's like, it's, it's, a, it's, it's kind of sold like the church back then had no problems. It was perfect. We just need to get back to the early church. If we were like the early church, if we met in homes, that would be better. If we, you know, I don't know, fill in the blank, wore sandals, that would be better. If we said Yeshua instead of the English Jesus, that would be better. And there's like this like movement to like, it was just so better back then. It was so much better. They just did everything better. They didn't have any problems. I'm pretty sure the disciples, like Jesus rose again, they never sinned again. But you get into the book of Acts and you're like, this is crazy. The apostle Peter stopped eating with Gentiles because of influence from these guys of the pharisaical background that were saved and had gotten into the church, and James sent them to Antioch. You would think, what were you thinking, James? Why did you send them there? What are they going to do there? This is Antioch. This is a city that's ruled by idolatry. Can you, and when you read about Barnabas, he's just the opposite. Barnabas shows up and it says, he observed the grace of God among them. He shows up at the church, he's like, dude, God is so good. This is great. Amen. Probably shouldn't do that. Amen. Like, I'm all about this. So what you, do you guys, I hope I'm communicating. Do you see this weird dynamic that's happening in the church? We're not even 100 years away here. We're not, this, is, this is just a few decades since Jesus has been on the earth. And his big 12 are still having some problems working through everything. You would think that Peter would not be influenced by other people, wouldn't you? I would. Wouldn't you think Peter, when they showed up, he'd be like, oh, no, no, no. I denied him three times once. I'm not doing that again. <laughs> you know, wouldn't, wouldn't you think that as soon as they showed up? No, but that Judaism was so deeply rooted in him, so deeply rooted in the Pharisees, and he had some bizarre fear of man that even the apostle Peter was withdrawing from people that God wanted to save, and he wouldn't even eat with them. And I kind of mentioned it last week. Can you imagine being at one of our potlucks? You like sit down with this group of people, and they all just stand up and leave? I'm not going to eat with you. You're not Jewish. You're not whatever. It's crazy. And yet that's what's going on in the church. That's what's happening. And, the, and just by virtue of the fact that Peter comes back and says, relays all, well, he doesn't get to relay it yet, but he comes back to relay all that has taken place. They already have heard the rumors that people are getting saved. And the response is this. They criticize him. Why did you go to the Gentiles? We have to be very careful with our criticisms as the church. Very careful. We need to be very careful what we measure and what we decide is allowed and not allowed, what we think is okay and not okay. You know, when I was uh, about 16 years old, I think I've shared about this before, that's when I got saved. So I must have been 17. Uh, I was uh, going to this thing, it was called the Campus Conference. It was down, I lived in San Luis Obispo, California. It was in San Francisco uh, at a hostel. And uh, every year, it was just kind of like, a, like a seniors in high schools and college kids could go to this uh, campus conference. It was just Bible teaching and stuff like that. It was kind of like a camp and uh, a little less campy, just more, I don't know, seminary, as it were. 
And I remember when I was driving up there, I was listening to all the, ma the bands I liked. Uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, uh, Metallica, uh, Nine Inch Nails, uh, you know, all sorts of just, was, and I'm, I'm listening to this music and it's, it's very anti-establishment and very, because uh, I think that's where I was as a, as a young person, not necessarily trying to always stick it to the man, but just didn't trust anybody, had a lot of anger worked up, so I listened to a lot of different music. But I was a Christian, that's what I was listening to, so I'm driving up there, I'm listening to this in my headphones, mostly because the dudes that I was driving with had their radio going, and it was like Christian barbershop quartet, and I was like, no, not doing this. Sorry if you like that. There's nothing wrong with Christian Barbershop Quartet. I'm sure it is still going strong today. But for me personally, it wasn't where I was at in my own personal life, and I'm still not. But so the <laughs> maybe someday. So I was like, no, I'm not listening to this. So I put on, you know, I put my headphones on. Remember when they were headphones? Yep. Yeah, remember those? And then they had the things that they were, they had, they were like plastic squares, and they had two round things in them, and then like a tape. Remember that? Put my tapes in. <laughs> We didn't have CD players. I mean, they had them, but those, remember those? The Sony like, Walkman things were like $200. And you're like, no, nah, or I can get like the 1099 Radio Shack special. So I'm listening to my music. I'm going up there, and I get up there, and different people are sharing, and it's just a great time. Great Bible teaching, great time with the Lord. And uh, I talked to the speaker afterwards, and I, I said, you know what? And he didn't, he wasn't even, it wasn't even necessarily what was on the docket. And I said, you know what? I think maybe the Lord wants me to get rid of my music. And he goes, oh, why do you think that? And I said, well, you know, I just was thinking about some of the lyrics and stuff like that when I was kind of coming up, and I can see how it might cause me to struggle with my anger, cause me to struggle with lust and stuff like that. Um, so I, I don't know. I just think maybe, it, maybe I should do that. And this was a singular moment in my life because he didn't say to me, yeah, you should do that. You know what he said to me? You should do what God tells you to do. Let me pray for you. Lord, lead this guy. All right, God bless. And he was out. And, and so as I listened to the rest of the campus conference, I drove home listening to the music that they were listening to. I still didn't like it. But I had come to the conclusion, I was like, no, I need to, I think I need to get rid of this stuff. And I'm not making a rule for anybody here. So if you're, secretly, I still have some Pink Floyd albums and I listen to it while I mow the lawn. But, you know, so I'm not, I'm not telling anybody what they should or shouldn't do for their music, okay? What I'm saying is that in a certain time, in a certain place, God administered to me. And I had about, I don't know, I had probably 80-something albums between CDs and tapes and whatever. And so I got back to uh, San Luis Obispo. It was probably a Sunday night. Uh, Monday, we had this place uh, in San Luis. It's called Cheap Thrills, which is a little awkward, but it was a music store that sold used music. And so I went down there, and I just sold all my CDs and everything like that. And I got, uh, I made like 82 bucks or something like that. And so I went to the Christian store, and I bought this new leather Bible. And I was really excited about it, because was, I was a new believer. The Lord was working on my heart. I wanted to dive into the Scripture. I wanted to learn these things. So I was super excited about it. And I went to church the next Sunday, and I was talking to one of the pastors. I'm like, dude, and I'm trying to tell him like, everything that went down. Like, yeah, the Lord spoke to me, and this, his name was Jim Heyman. He, you know, I prayed with him, and he was just like, you should do what God told you to do. So this is what I think God's telling me to do. And you know, just picture a 17-year-old James, way more hyper, way more angry, and way more whatever. And I'm just like, oh, this is happening. Check out this Bible I got. And he was like, you should have destroyed them. I can't believe you sold them. Now you've made that available for everybody else. And I was pretty much like, you know, like, you're number one. You know, it really, this thing occurred in my life that for me was profound. Probably the most profound thing that had happened to me 
in my walk with God up to that point. And this guy just, forgive me, pooped on it. I mean, just absolutely. And I was so discouraged and so angry. And, and it was kind of a, it, it was a, a, a fork in the road for me where the Lord, where I really was like debating, forget these guys, I'm going to have no part of you. It, it was a moment in my life where I really thought, I'm not even going to bother with church because if that's what people are like at church, like this colossal thing that happens to me in my life, and that's how you're going to treat it, you're going to tell me what I shouldn't have, that I, and then I'm thinking to myself, really, dude, because you can buy right now for like $2 all, <laughs> there's millions of copies out there. I don't think my one copy is causing Satan to rule the world. And I, I, I bring that up because for me, it's, you know, that was 28 years ago. I remember like it was yesterday. I remember the conversation. I remember we were standing. I remember what the carpet looked like. I remember the guy that said it to me. I remember exactly. And I remember walking out of that place basically like, forget you guys. And it was because it was just this weird criticism, this weird opinion that this guy had. You know, the funny thing is, you can go from Genesis to Revelation, and it never says, when thou forsakest thy music, thou shalt destroy it and never resell it. That's not in here. It's not the 11th commandment. It's not like, you know, and Jesus gaveth a vision and they destroyeth their lutes and harps and broughteth up the tambourine. You know, there's, there's no, that's not in here. There's things about holiness. There's things about listening to the Holy Spirit. There's things about walking with the Lord. But us as believers, we have to be very careful because we're all different. We're all very different. Uh, personally, for me, I thank God for denominations. Can you imagine if there was only one denomination and one church, and it had, there was one way, and everybody did it the exact same way, and we just had to conform to that? Would that work in humanity? Not at all. Thank God for people that, that go to church, and they wear suits and ties, and they say, I'm honoring Jesus by wearing my best. Praise God for that. That's cool that there's a place that they can go with other people, that, that they honor God with their clothes. How could we possibly say something negative about that? And thank God for places where we can come as we see, come as we are. And say, Lord, you see me, and I, you know, I'm not going to trash myself to come to church, but I don't feel like I, I have to dress up before you. I'm here to worship you and give you the sacrifice of my heart. You thank God for places where they, they run up and down and wave flags and everyone has a tambourine and they're super excited about Jesus. How can we ever say something negative about that? And thank God for places where you can just stick your hand in your pocket and lower your head and sing songs to Jesus. Because we're all different. And it's, 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 it's okay to have difference. It's okay, but far be it from us to be the party of the circumcision because of our background, because of what we've been told, because of what we think is right on superficial or maybe tangent issues, outside core issues of the Scripture. No, we're never going to endorse that Jesus wasn't a man. We're never going to endorse that you need to go to a man to get forgiveness. We're never going to endorse something like that. We're not going to link arms with people like that and say, yes, we believe the same thing. But you know what? Hopefully, you and I can link arms with the mega church pastor and the four person home church pastor. 
And, just, and, and the person that, that walks in and speaks in tongues and the person that doesn't. The person that shares a word of prophecy and the person that doesn't. The person that sings their heart out to hymns and ne'er has an instrument and the person that has the full band. God forbid that we should criticize based on our backgrounds and based on some systematic theology about superficial issues to cause division. And in this case, it feels extra bad because people were getting saved. I met a dude once, I went to a conference, and like his whole ministry, it was pretty wild, I'm not going to take it up, but his whole ministry, he's like, yeah, I go, I just follow Marilyn Manson on concert, and I just hand out, hand out tracks at his concerts. I'm like, do you get beat up a lot? Like, how does, how does that go for you? I feel like that wouldn't go well. And he goes, no, no, actually, he goes, believe it or not, he goes, almost always, I'll, I'll get to pray with one or two kids. And I'm like, amen, man, amen. Am I going to go to a Marilyn Monster, uh, Manson concert anytime soon? No, I'm not. But you know, not because I think it would be sin, but because I would just be scared. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, but this guy's been called. He has this ministry, and he goes and he does this. And I just think, like, you know, we have to be so careful when we're dealing with one another, whether it's on a global scale. It's really weird because the bigger someone is, like in society, the more you know, Twitter followers they have or the more public they are, the more we feel at liberty to criticize them. You ever notice that? You ever notice that like, no matter what, no, no matter how you feel about different teachers, whether it's Paul Washer or Joel Olstein, if you're not familiar, those guys are completely separate on the spectrum. Why do we feel like we could publicly malign one of those guys? Can you imagine, can you imagine what would happen to you if Joel Olstein stood up on a Sunday morning and was just like, that James Aiken from Seaview, Washington, he doesn't know what he's talking about, and I'm pretty sure he's following Satan. Can you imagine what would happen to our church? We would have demonstrators. Like our, our YouTube, our, our Facebook would get blown up with faithful followers railing on us of how terrible we are. But yet somehow, because we have a, we're small time in, as far as, Publicity, we feel like we can just, that Paul Washer guy, has he even saved? What Joel Olstein? I don't know. Hey, I'm not saying follow false doctrine. I'm not saying, I don't listen to Joel Osteen, so I actually have no idea what he says. I know that some people love him and some people hate him, so I, I don't even want to know what he says. You know why? Because Joel Osteen doesn't call me and ask me for advice for what he should say. <laughs> so... If he calls you, God bless you, give him the truth, whatever that may be, but he doesn't call me, so I don't need to say anything negative about him because I have no idea. And there's, there's so many different ministries that we can say things about. There's a great ministry, I think it's great, in Portland, that every time there's like a gay pride or a gay, um, uh, when they used to do rallies for gay marriage and stuff like that, there was a Christian group that would show up with cookies, coffee, and porta-potties. And they would just serve them. And then they had a, a table there with tracks. And they'd be like, why do you do this? Don't, don't Christians hate gay people? No, we love gay people. We're just, we're just all about seeing you guys get saved. So here's a cookie. Here's a track. And it would baffle people, right? Because you have the other side of things with people holding signs that say, God hates faggots. I mean, think about that. That's, that's, that's some, some of that's the Christianity that, that some gay people, that's all they know. 
So let's, let's be careful as Christians that when God is doing something great, that we don't criticize it. That we don't come along and say, well, you shouldn't talk to those people. They're the uncircumcised. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. Instead, let's pray for those people. You, know, you, you hear about a guy going to Marilyn Manson? Let's pray for that guy. Lord, would you bless that ministry out there? Would you bless those people that set up porta-potties and serve the, the homosexual community to, to bring Christ to them? Lord, I don't really agree with it, but you know what? The church down the street that does something that our church doesn't do, will you bless them? Will you pour out your Holy Spirit on them this morning? Lord, would, would you give that pastor the words to bless his congregation where they're at? And just an individual. You know, I think it's noteworthy, too, just as kind of a side note, kind of a, a pro tip. It says, so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the, the, this is verse 2, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. They didn't even ask him what happened. You read that? They didn't even say, hey, Pete, we noticed that you hung out with a bunch of Romans. You're not supposed to do that. What happened? They just came up and criticized him for it. The best thing you can do, honestly, in any conflict, in any relationship that you have, is ask questions. Because you can find out some wild stuff. You know, I've met believers before that are 100% on board for abortion. And you go, huh, how could a believer be that? They're not believers. I don't know if you do that or not, but some people do. From other churches. I'm just kidding. Totally kidding. Totally kidding. But you know what I'm saying? Like, we can have this, like, ah, ah. And, but you start asking them, why do you, why do you believe that? Well, I was raped by my brother. And there was no way I was going to have that baby. I've I met people with that. So do I think they should have aborted their baby? No, I do not believe that. But can I be sympathetic to the pain and the sorrow and the grief and the anger that would have happened? I hope I can. So many times by just asking questions, why do you believe that? Why do you say that? Hey, people of the Pharisees, why, why do you say that we shouldn't, that God doesn't want to save these guys? Where did you get that from the scripture? Where did you get that from the Old Testament? Peter could have turned to the Old Testament. I'm like, check it out. The sojourner among you gets access to Jehovah. And Jesus has just confirmed that by shedding his blood. See, by asking each other in a marriage conflict, asking the question. See, we're really, so often we get these like gigantic heads. And our spouse or somebody we care about, they say something to us. Hey, Blah, blah, blah. I, don't, I can't think of something offhand. I mean, I so never often say something stupid with my wife that I can't even, you know, pull, a, pull an example up right now. Sure yeah, there'll be a Q&A later. Tam's not invited. The, uh, but no, you know, it's, and then we can just quip right back. They say, you got a problem with it? That's not the kind of question you want to ask. What's your problem? Yeah. Did I stutter? <laughs> I've actually never said that to my wife. So, but, but, you know, the, but have you ever, have you ever just replied back in anger? Somebody says something to you, and you just snap back in anger, and what happens? It just escalates, right? Instead of de-escalating a situation and seeking resolution. Over and over again, Jesus says, th Jesus says things 
like, blessed are the peacemakers. He doesn't say forsake truth for peace. But he says, blessed are peacemakers. People that are able to communicate the truth in, an, in a way that is non-threatening, that is humble. You know, the, one of my favorite Proverbs, Proverbs 15, just a fantastic, um, oops, a fantastic proverb, uh, the whole chapter actually. Check this out. In Proverbs 15, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Anybody else found that to be true? It's pretty true on the internet. I don't know if you've noticed that. A tongue, the tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of fools pours out folly. So the tongue of the wise commends knowledge. In other words, to commend something is to agree with it and praise it, right? To give your commendation, you're, you're saying, yes, I, I, I believe this. So the tongue of the wise person commends knowledge. In other words, the, the tongue of the person, the, the heart, because from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the, the, the person who is wise, who understands knowledge and how to apply it, that's what wisdom is, commends knowledge. But the mouth of fools pours out folly. A fool in the scripture is not necessarily someone who's ignorant. It's someone who knows better and does it anyway. Okay? And so he says that the mouth of fools pours out folly. Folly is just the evidence of fool. It's just bad advice. It's foolishness. So when we take a moment and a deep breath, and instead of pouring out folly, knowing better... Raise your hand for, for reals if the Holy Spirit has ever told you, don't say that. Yeah, almost all of us probably, right? You're like gearing up like a train. And all of a sudden the Holy Spirit's like, don't say that. And you're just like, oh well. Right? And the spiritual fruit that comes from that is just amazing, isn't it? And the situation just gets better and everything is okay. And no. No, that's not what happens, is it? It's not what happens at all. It escalates. And it gets worse and worse. And pretty soon you can get so far down a conversation or an argument and, you, and all of a sudden there's, there's, it's like shame. There's nothing else to say. Like you, You've achieved fleshiness in all of its glory. And you realize that there was nothing waiting for you there except for death and anxiety. It's so bizarre. But yet we think, that's why it's called a fool. A fool, it pours, pours out folly. Because it's the person that knows they shouldn't, and yet we keep doing it. Again, how many people have done that twice? <laughs> right? Shall we keep going? 500 times. <laughs> One million times. Right? Right? You would think that someday we would just know, like, I'm just not going to say this. The Holy Spirit's really smart. I'm just going to shut that down. But he keeps going. He says this, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Mm. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. A gentle tongue is a tree of life. What a great picture. Somebody who's kind and loving and caring. Someone who reserves judgment. Someone who waits before they just 
blab something. A gentle tongue. Someone who, when they share truth, share it with care and kindness. Not from a place of, of, of uh, angst. You ever had a situation with someone where they were genuinely doing something wrong, but you want to talk to them just because it ticked you off, not because you wanted to actually help them? See, a gentle tongue, its motivation isn't, I'm chapped, so I'm talking. A gentle tongue is, I want the best for you, and so let's talk about it. It's two different messages, isn't it? One is, cut it out, you loser. And one is, there's something better, and that's destroying you. Right? It's a tree of life. Something vibrant, something beautiful, something creative, something glorious, provides shade, provides fruit, a tree of life. You know, James says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And all we can be responsible for and all we can respond is what, what we say. We can't control, or, well, I guess we can try, but we can't control what other people do or say, right? We can only control what we say. These guys, their heart was to criticize when people were getting saved. They were so deeply ingrained with their personal history of abuse, really. I'm not trying to minimize abuse, but cultural, you know, systemic abuse from nations for over 800 years. That they had gotten to a place in their life where in their minds they said, God would, not could, would never save one of those guys. And we should never go and talk to them because they deserve what they get a place of judgment, a place of pompousness, a place of pride and anger, a lot of stuff that's never been dealt with in a statement like that. And yet Peter, I love the way he answers. He doesn't say, you know what? I am the apostle Peter, and frankly, I'm a giant person, because that's what we're told historically, that Peter was like really big. So you shut your mouths, because I was there, or I'll shut them for you. All right? Who here has the term apostle in front of their name? Not you guys, party of the circumcision. Right? He doesn't do that. He doesn't try to throw authority. He doesn't try to physically dominate. He just says, well, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why we can rejoice in this. Check it out. I didn't believe it either. God had to give me a vision. He didn't go, I knew the whole time what God was doing I'm a spiritual giant. And no, he goes, God had to show me three times. And then when the dudes show up, that's what I do. You know, I mean, he had this whole, this whole thing he had to go through, this whole, and he just communicates it to them humbly, graciously, kindly. And at the end, it says they're just silent. What are you going to say? The Holy Spirit filled and they were speaking in tongues. Here's these six other dudes that can, that can testify to what happened. It says they were silent and then they say, well, it appears that Gentiles can get saved too. <laughs> There's nothing more to say. The works that God did spoke for it. The witnesses of others spoke for him. He was not justified because he dominated anyone. He was justified because it's what God was doing. You know, even, it's funny, even the high priest at the time of Jesus warns the Sanhedrin and says, let's be careful not to fight against these guys because if what they're doing is of God, we don't want to fight against it. Even one of the leaders 
of the Sanhedrin. This was not a good guy. Acknowledges, let's be careful here. There's always room to be gracious. There's always room to be careful. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. A tongue that twists, perverseness, twisting. When we twist things, you ever been in an argument, known you're wrong, and just kept on rocking it? Really? Only one of us? Like, you just say to yourself, I'm not going out this way, I'm going to keep arguing, or I'm going to keep saying these things, or the Holy Spirit is telling you, you're wrong, and you're like, I don't care, I, you know, I'm doing this. It's perverseness, it's twisting things. And it says that, that that kind of perverseness, when we twist things or we manipulate or try to make something, it breaks the spirit. We can break the spirit of people around us. We can ruin people around us. Everybody is responsible for their own thing. So I'm not, I'm not but we can be, we have to be careful. I was listening to a testimony of a guy uh, this morning, actually, and uh, he was talking about an experience he had when he was eight years old that he, his mom had married this man, and this man was uh, quite brutish and used to beat them, beat him and his, his siblings, his twin brother and his mother, um, mercilessly. And uh, he was just talking about, you know, what that happened. And he, he pointed to him, he was eight years old, and this guy was a chain smoker. And he began in the middle of the night, because his bed was in their bedroom, and he began to, in the middle of the night, this man, to choke on his own phlegm and to start coughing and choking. And he could hear him um, basically gasping and trying to get the word water out. And he said he, at eight years old, he rolled over in his bed and ignored him. And he hoped and he prayed that that man would die. And he was talking about just the kind of the depravity uh, that a violent past can give you. That the depravity of what people do to you. I mean, can you be, what were you doing when you were eight years old? I was living in San Diego, and I lived on a boat, and I think I was homeschooled, and I just went swimming every day and tried to stab uh, fish with a broomstick. <laughs> Poor fishies. I don't think I ever got one, but that's what I was doing. But he was weeping in his bed, hoping this man choking would die. And he talked about growing up and, and essentially just being so angry so angry that, you know, and God saved him. And over time, you know, he dealt with that anger. And I only bring that up because I thought it was a pretty moving testimony, but I bring it up because we have no idea what people have been through. And we have no idea why they do the things that we do, that they, that they do. And so if we can ask questions, if we can not try to twist things, if we can not criticize, if we can love, if we can care, if we can de-escalate, rather than escalate, if we can invite rather than segregate, if we can understand rather than despise, like this would be the most healing place on the planet, which is what it's supposed to be, right? Church is really supposed to be the, the in, in, in every church, in every called out gathering, which is what the word church, ecclesia, the Greek means, the, the Bible word, called out gathering of God's people. Every called out gathering of God's people is supposed to be the place where God says, I'll meet with you. I'll come to your midst. I'll heal your wounds. But you have to repent and let me. You have to turn from what's hurting you. So many of us want the healing without the repentance. We want the joy without letting go of the death of sin. 
And it's amazing that with our choices, we can actually stop God's healing balm in our life. We can stop what he wants to do. So my encouragement through what we're reading here in, in Acts and the, you know, the words, the practical stuff that we have, and in, in, it goes on there in Proverbs 15 to speak way more about our words and our heart. But my encouragement to you is if you're here today and you're in a place where you're holding on to sin and you're wonder, wondering why your life is rough, let go of it. Be honest. You don't have to be honest with me. You have to be honest with God. Let's be honest with the Lord. Let's be true to the Lord. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of deliverance. Today is the day that the Holy Spirit is available to heal your wounds. Today is the day that the Holy Spirit is ready to forgive, ready to wash, ready to cleanse, ready to give life. In this very moment, in this very place, and in any place where people are calling upon the name of the Lord. It's here and it's now. And if you're in a place today where you're holding on to sin but wishing for all the healing, I encourage you, respectfully and lovingly, repent. Turn away from it. Confess it. It's not like the Lord's going to be surprised. He already knows. We read that part. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere. He sees the good and the evil. And He wants to restore you. He wants to forgive you and cleanse you and do something wonderful. So we're going to be available up here for prayer after the service. But uh, please come up if you'd like prayer. Uh, we'd love to pray with you. But let's, be, let's deal with our stuff. Let's be honest with Jesus. And let's be kind to one another. Let's be careful when we criticize. And uh, let's make sure that instead of perverseness, that, we're, uh, that we're, our tongues are a tree of life, that we're bringing gentleness. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your kindness and your grace and your word. Lord, you are great and greatly to be praised. Will you please forgive us? And I know you have, of how many times we've said a critical word that was unmerited, that was destructive. Would you please cleanse us from so often our hearts, the first thing we think is measurement, judgment, evaluation, despising. Lord, I pray that we would have your heart and your eyes to see human beings. I pray that we would so love the world that we'd preach that Jesus Christ died. I pray that we would so love the world that no one would seem unreachable or would seem undeserving. But Lord, that we would look at each individual person with love and with care. Lord, freely giving the truth, people that share the truth and love, people that don't shy from the truth, but Lord, people that keep peripheral things on the periphery and people that keep the main things in the center. Lord, thank you for your great kindness to us. Thank you that we're saved. Thank you that we got to eat this morning. Thank you we have clothes to wear. Thank you we have a church to come to. Lord, we are exceedingly blessed. You have done great things for us, and we're glad. And we freely admit, Father, that every good gift that we've ever received, it's never been wrought by our own hand. It's always been from you. Lord, you're truly kind-hearted, and you truly are love. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.